Episode 2, The Watchers. Written and directed by Sean Hybor. Performed by Gabriel Alvarez. I grew up in the city, Lodo. My parents both worked for the bank, and so from the time I was born, I lived in an apartment, just a few blocks walking distance from Coors Field. Of course, when I was a child, Coors Field didn't even exist. I remember watching it being built right in front of my eyes. Seemingly, one minute there were a few old bars and roped off grass lots, and the next, a professional baseball team was moving in. You know, they even found dinosaur bones underneath the stadium as they were excavating it, unearthed after an eon of being forgotten. That was very representative of the way the city was changing. So many people moving in, and I watched as the culture changed. It was no longer as familiar. But it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, it was just different. At least that's how I felt at first. But then, after a while, I, I started to resent it. There, within my own state, were mountains and rivers and boundless farmland. Abandoned mines and frozen lakes and tunnels and hiking trails and wildlife. But I, I hadn't even begun to explore them. So I made the conscious decision that when I had a family... I would move them out into the country, and we would experience more of what God's earth had provided. I started following the real estate market pretty closely as soon as I was promoted. Money was good, our expenses were manageable. My grandmother had died about two years earlier, and she was the last remaining grandparent on either side of the family. In her will, she left my wife and I a decent sum of money. I didn't want it. The only thing I'd ever wanted from her were two paintings that hung in her living room. One was the Lord's Prayer. It was colorful and uh, ornate. I would, I remember I would just stare at it and try to memorize all the words as a kid. I. I thought that if I were to recite them to my grandmother, she'd be proud of me. You know, it, it, it reminded me of her and my childhood. The other was a very dark and foreboding watercolor of the Colorado River. It was the opposite of calming, but to me, it was foreign. I wanted to know that river like I knew myself. Those two paintings ended up in the hands of my uncle, who, much like everything else in his life, looked at them as an opportunity to gain leverage over the rest of his family. We didn't have a good relationship, and he knew I wanted them. When he found out that my family and I had been left a sum of money, he tried to trade me for them. I considered it. The paintings meant that much to me. My wife would tell me, possessions are not people, memories are people. So I took the money and started planning our move out to the woods. 
Less than a year later, my wife and I discovered what we consider our dream home. It was everything we'd ever discussed, everything we'd ever wanted. My daughter fell in love immediately. <laughs> we were sold. I started our move-in as soon as school released for the summer. The weather was nice, and my daughter would have endless time to explore. We started unpacking the essential items first, you know, blankets, books, snacks. My daughter was scouring her boxes for her stuffed animal, Woof Woof. It's, uh, <laughs> it's an orange dog with a patch over one of its eyes. It's, it's ugly. It's ugly, but it's hers, and she loves it. She set the dog up on her pillow, facing outward to guard her room. She'd never had a room quite so large. To give you an idea of what the land looked like, our closest neighbors were about half a mile away. They actually invited us over for dinner on one of the first nights that we were there. It was, uh, they were an older couple, probably in their um, 70s. They served uh, biscuits and gravy and fried chicken and collard greens. Oh, it was the perfect meal. After a long day of painting, unloading boxes, and cleaning spiderwebs at all the corners of the house, they told us stories about the couple that lived in the house before us. They, uh, were eccentric. The old man of the house had a touch of paranoia and thought the government was after his money, and as a result, he would hide wads of money in various places around the house. When we pulled back into our long, curved driveway that night, we noticed that the lights of the truck didn't reach the front of the house. The driveway started at the main road and stretched back through three acres of land. Our farmhouse wasn't viewable from the main road, nor was the weathered red barn flanking it off to the right. We were entirely removed. Exactly what I had always wanted. The next morning, my daughter and I went for a walk around the property. One of my favorite things on these summer mornings was getting up before the sun had completely risen and walking amongst the tall grass of our new home. My daughter chased butterflies and I started mapping out my plans for the land. Back behind the house, about 30 yards removed from the old barn, there was this patch of overgrown earthen brush. No one had taken care of it and it led unassumingly into the woods. There was a long, very long barbed wire fence that surrounded the whole of the property. As a kid, I had daydreamed about having a similar barn. I wanted to spend my day throwing a ball against it and having it return and catch it and throw it again, repeating this again and again and again. I pulled a tennis ball from my pocket and called my daughter's name. When she looked up, I tossed the ball against the side of the barn and it started its journey back to me, slowing down as it tried to make its way through the thick grass. The barn is in its original state. I'm sure there have been a few coats of paint over the years, but more or less it seems to have been uh, an afterthought. It was old and sort of falling apart. My daughter seemed scared of the barn, and rightly so, but I made sure I let her know not to explore the barn by herself without anyone knowing she was in there. I trust my daughter, but I wasn't sure if I trusted the old structure to stay erect. Other than the main entrance, there were 
many cracks in the foundation of the barn as a result of years of storms and mountain weather. I mean, who knows what kind of animal could make its way inside to seek refuge. We walked inside together and looked around. It was mostly bare. A few old tools still hung on the wall, rusted and worn, the metal a sort of orange color. When we first moved in, I decided to store a few less used pieces of equipment in the barn, rather than in the garage attached to the house. My riding lawnmower, for example, sat lonely against the wall. Other odds and ends were strewn about, but for the most part the barn was only filled with the light of the morning sun coming in through the roof slats. After lunch I took a nap. I read a book. I made love to my wife while my daughter watched Back to the Future for the 67th time. And that night we all sat around in the living room and ate stovetop popcorn and talked about what we wanted to plan for the rest of the week. We gave our visions for the house in future weeks and months and read books as we fell asleep under couch blankets. My wife was startled awake by what she thought was a sound outside. The motion sensor lights had tripped and she thought she had heard a thump. I looked out the back window and saw nothing. I assured her that it was probably just an animal, but I would check the house first thing in the morning. The next morning, I drove to the electronics store and bought a camera system and installed it as soon as I got back home. It wasn't professional, but it got the job done. Two cameras facing out back, two more out front, and one on each side of the house. That night, we went back to dinner at the Jensen's. This time, she made buttermilk fried chicken and buttermilk biscuits and buttermilk mashed potatoes. We fell fast asleep that night from our food comas and forgot all about the thump from the night before. And then, uh, just a few days ago, I was pressure washing the front steps when I heard my daughter scream and run to me terrified. She rounded the corner of the house coming from the barn and she launched herself at me, crying. I got her calm enough to breathe and to tell me what was going on. She'd been in the barn. My immediate thought went to the fact that she didn't hesitate to tell me that she'd been in the barn without me or her mom, even though I had specifically told her not to. But that didn't matter to her. She was too scared to care about any punishment. She said she'd found something hidden behind some old blankets in the corner, behind the wheelbarrow. She thought they, she thought they were bones. I followed her into the barn, her bravery impressing me. I pointed to the corner where she thought she'd seen them. I thought she had to have been mistaken, but she was certain. The thing about that corner of the barn that made me skeptical was that underneath the wheelbarrow was a loose piece of floor wood. You could pry it up with your hands pretty easily, and underneath was a hole that was lined with wood and burlap. It's like a makeshift shaft to keep something hidden. I'd found it when I was moving the wheelbarrow out and a mouse ran out from under some grass and scurried into a hole in the ground. 
I started feeling around out of curiosity, and when I had lifted the piece of wood days ago, it had been empty, because the wheelbarrow had been sitting on top of it. I moved the wheelbarrow aside and lifted up the plank of wood. My daughter let out a small whimper and took a step back, wrapped up in the burlap cloth without much dust or dirt covering it, or multiple sets of teeth varying in size. I, f I froze in fear. My chest felt tight and heavy. I, I turned to my daughter and asked her if she'd put them there. I knew that she hadn't, but I had to ask. I tried to remain calm for her, and I, I think I did a pretty decent job of that, but in my head, I started playing out a million terrible scenarios. I grabbed my daughter's hand, and I lied to her. I told her they were probably old dog teeth that had been buried as a memorial to the pets the old owners had lost. We walked slowly back to the house. My heart was racing. I suggested she watch cartoons with her mom for a little while. And as she bound up the stairs, I called the police. The local police came down and spoke with my wife and I for hours while one of the detectives played guess who and shoots and ladders with my daughter and her woof woof. My wife cried. My hands shook. The officers asked if they could see our security tapes. I walked them down the hall to my office where the tapes were backed up. My wife scooped up my daughter and thanked the detective who apologized to my daughter for not being able to finish their game of Go Fish, and he scurried down the hall after us. I sat down in front of the camera as an officer leaned over my shoulder and we all watched together. The darkness filled the screen as little bugs darted back and forth across the picture. We fast-forwarded until we saw the motion sensor light trigger. Quickly, a figure moved across the corner of the upper frame. My stomach clenched. At the request of the officer, I closed out of the camera tape and moved over to the front of the house. Again, we fast-forwarded the tape aways until we saw movement, and then the motion sensor light kicked on just as it had in the last tape. It was 1.47 a.m., and then we saw walking, only it wasn't one figure. It was two. They walked side by side, holding hands. Steps were almost in unison. They walked until they reached just far enough that they were out of range of the motion sensor lights. They remained still for a minute until the lights kicked back off, and then they turned and looked at the house, hands still together, and just stared. The light of the full moon glowed over the front of the property so their silhouettes could still be picked up by the camera. But they didn't move. We all watched in disbelief. But they just kept staring. 
They just kept watching. We sped up the tape. They remained standing, motionless, hand in hand, watching our home. And then, after nearly two hours of standing, they each took one step forward toward the house. This triggered the motion sensor lights and we could see them in full view for the, for the first time. My wife gasped. The sheriff muttered under his breath. Jesus fucking Christ. The two people... The two people were wearing masks. They were wearing masks of our faces. After a minute, the lights turned off again and the two people turned and walked back down the road. I scrambled to pull up another tape. I opened the night before and brought up the feet from the front of the house. And at 1.49 a.m., the two figures walked into frame, holding hands. They followed the same routine. After the lights turned off, they turned around. They stared at our home. They didn't move. At 3.42 a.m., they took a step forward to awaken the house lights. They wore the same masks. I opened the night before, and the night before that, and the night before that. And every night was the same. The same masks. The same time of night. The same watching. And then, eight nights back, it was different. I watched as three figures entered the frame at 1.39 a.m. Two of them I recognized from the other videos, their hands entangled in the stride and sink. But walking next to them was a third, smaller person, the size of a child. The child was holding something in its outer hand. They followed the same patterns, only this time there were three people holding hands. They walked, waited, turned, and stared. I moved the tape forward until just before the two hour mark. I leaned in close and waited. At 3.35 a.m., they stepped forward into the light. They wore masks. My face, my wife's face, and the child wore my, and the, and the child wore my daughter's face. And in her hand, was a small burlap sack. <sighs> it's been eight weeks since that night. The police are still investigating. The house is up for sale. But since we've decided to disclose what happened to us, there hasn't been anyone interested. 
My family and I are staying at a relative's rental property in another state. Completely off the books. No way to trace us. We all sleep in the same room. The four of us. Me, my wife, my daughter, and Woof Woof. We've started to blend back into our former lives a bit. I picked up some shifts at a hardware store. My wife is doing some freelance copy editing. And little by little, we find ourselves again. I spent so much of my life thinking about what I didn't have and what I thought the perfect life would look like. Yesterday, I was walking home from work. I stopped to pick up the mail at the end of the driveway, and I caught a man staring at me down at the end of the street. He was dressed in all black, and he was too far away to see his face. But I could see that he was looking in my direction. He didn't move. I pictured him wearing a mask of my daughter's face. After a moment, I waved to him. From a hundred feet away, he waved back a big, ostentatious wave. And then he walked back up his driveway where his dog greeted him. And I went home too. The Watchers was written and directed by Sean Hybor. The Constance theme song is performed by Quiet Theory. Original music by Tim Reed. This episode was performed by Gabriel Alvarez. Gabe is the creator and narrator of Star Called, a science fiction audio drama set in a galactic frontier. It's one of the most well-produced and immersive audio experiences that I have encountered. Please check it out. If you like Constance, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, tell your friends. Tell all your friends. You can also follow Constance on Twitter at ConstancePod. You can learn more about Constance at our website, ConstancePodcast.com. Episodes 3 and 4 of Constance will be released in July, so stay tuned. Dental, Foxtrot, Dental, Dental, Foxtrot, Dental, Dental.